In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening. Thank you for being here. And uh, as you know, we've been going through the, the marks of a biblical church for the past few weeks. <clears throat> Tonight is the last night that we're going to be doing that. And then after this, we're going to go through about five weeks of dealing with um, just some really interesting stuff concerning um, holiness movement, Pentecostal movement, charismatic word of faith movement. They are all intertwined and they are all of the same branch. So we'll be talking about those for the next few weeks. Hopefully it'll be uh, encouraging for you. Hopefully it'll be something that that informs you and gives you a better understanding of. Of that whole world. But the last few weeks we've been going through the, the marks of a biblical church. And so far we've learned that a biblical church is one that teaches expositionally. We've also learned that you are to be expositional listeners. So we have expositional teaching and it's being uh, taught to expositional listeners. Amen. We also learned that a biblical church is one that teaches biblical theology. A biblical church is one that preaches and displays the gospel. A biblical church is one that witnesses and also understands true conversions. So we're seeing true conversions and we also understand what a true conversion is. A biblical church is one that is passionate about evangelism. A biblical church is one that practices church membership and church discipline. And finally, a biblical church is one that has a biblical view of worship. When we talked about worship last week tonight, I would like to speak to you about the final points or the final marks of a biblical church. They are going to be missions and biblical fellowship, followed by, if we have any time, leadership. So missions, fellowship and leadership. I pray to God that we can get through all three. If we can't, then... uh, Then to God be the glory. Let me just say, as a side note, the list of, I think, 11 or 12 that we've gone through, that we're going to be going through at the end of all of this, they are not exhaustive. Meaning, this is not all of the things that you should be looking for when it comes to a biblical church. But these are some of the the great uh, essential things that you should be looking for when looking for a biblical church. As a side note, I would probably include, if I have more weeks to do so... I would probably include baptism as being a biblical mark of a church or a mark of a biblical church. I would also probably include communion or the Lord's Supper as being a part of a biblical church. But I think we've dealt with communion and we'll be dealing with baptism on on Monday. Um, But these would also be some of the marks that I would include in the marks of a biblical church. The last time that we we finished on this Wednesday We talked about how biblical worship will inevitably lead lead us to... Anybody remember the last point? Biblical worship will inevitably lead us to... No, close. Missions. That should have been easy. We're talking about missions tonight, right? Why? Because if you are passionate about the glory of God as a worshiper, then you will have a passion for the glory of God... To be praised among the nations, which will cause you to do what? To go. To proclaim the name of Christ and to call people to repentance and faith in Christ. If you're passionate about his glory, then the evidence of that passion about his glory would be to extend his glory. 
to spread his glory, to share the gospel with the nation so that his glory can be spread to the nations. Don't say that you're passionate about worshiping God, but you're not passionate about spreading his name because the two go together. This is what drove the disciples. They had walked with what they knew was more than a mere man for three and a half years. He healed the sick, this man. He raised the dead. He gave sight to the blind. He healed the lame. He fed multitudes with little. He commanded the wind and the waves. He walked on water. He predicted his death, died, then rose from the dead, just like he said he would. And in the resurrection, he comes back and he gives his disciples, those who had followed him all this time, those who had believed and doubted, then believed and doubted, then all of a sudden see the one who said, I will die and I will be back, standing before them with the marks in his hands. And he gives them two commands. The first one is found in Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The first command: make disciples. Where should we make disciples? All the nations, the world. What should I do? Baptize them, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Show them. Display to them, teach them everything that I've done for you and taught you and showed you for the past three and a half years. How will I be able to do that? Second command, Acts chapter one, verse number four. And while staying with them and while staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he had promised or which he had, which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Here's the command. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in all Samaria or in Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. So the command was wait. For the power. Make disciples. But before you do that, wait for the power. The empowerment would be what or who? The Holy Spirit. The power that we have to make the gospel known among the nations is only through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have no power if we do not have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have no strength if we do not have the strength from the person of the Holy Spirit. Making disciples all over the world, making his name known among the nations. How will you be able to spread this nation? And if you are not empowered by the Holy Spirit, Romans 15, 20 says, this is Paul speaking. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where it had not been preached or named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. Paul wanted to go to the places where no one had ever heard of Christ. He wanted to go to the place where the name of Christ had not been named. A biblical church is one that takes the gospel to the places 
where the gospel has not been taken. I said to you, this, the statistic here in America is one person in every one person will hear the gospel one time a day, at least once a day. One person in every one person will hear the gospel at least one time a day, meaning you're all going to or at least have access to hearing the gospel every single day. You take that statistic to Mexico. One person has the opportunity to hear the gospel two times a day. So is it feasible? Does it make sense to make a mission trip to Mexico? Not when you have one person hearing the gospel at least twice a day. Now, here's the statistic that I brought up to you a while ago. One person every 100 years in the Middle East. Meaning this. They are likely to never hear the gospel. So where should the mission field be going to the Middle East, to China, to India, these places where the statistic of the person hearing the gospel or at least the chances of that person hearing the gospel are second to none. I think Brandon Buser made it very clear that there is ineffectiveness in short term missions to places where the gospel is already preached. You go to places where the gospel is already preached and you go to make yourself feel better about the fact that you went and gave food to poor, poor people. And then come back home and talk about look at all these pictures that I have of me and my mission trip. No. A true mission is taking the gospel to a people group that has never heard the gospel, planting yourself in that community, becoming a member of that society, learning their language so that you can present the gospel to them in their language, teaching the people the gospel, raising up disciples so that you can leave there and be out of a job, meaning you need to find another place where the people have not heard the gospel. That's true mission work. That's true mission work. The Greek translate translation of the word witnesses or witness. It means this one who dies for their faith. Think about that. Does that apply to you? When you say I'm a witness for Christ, does the definition or translation of that word witness apply to you? One who dies for your faith. Why is it translated that way? Because that was the consequence of the witnesses in Scripture who witnessed on behalf of Christ, the consequence or at least the result of their witnessing, the price of their witnessing was death. A biblical church is one that faces that opposition and does so joyfully embracing the cross. This was the great passion of the disciples to go and proclaim Christ to the nations. They were not interested in staying in their Christian bubble. If you read the accounts of the disciples after the commands that Jesus gave them, you will find interesting accounts. You will find that Philip obeyed the commands of Christ. He went to a place called Heliopolis or Heliopolis and was martyred there for preaching the gospel. You look at the account of Matthew who obeyed this command and took this gospel to Ethiopia where he died for preaching that gospel. You look at the account of James the Less or James the Younger, one of the disciples of Christ, who obeyed his command at the age of 94, was beat and stoned by Jews until finally someone came out with a club and beat his brains out of his head. 
for preaching this gospel. For being mission minded at 94. He didn't believe in retirement. There is no such thing as retirement to a disciple of Christ. Matthias obeyed the commands of Christ, took this gospel to Jerusalem, was stoned and then beheaded. Andrew, another disciple of Christ, obeyed this command, took this gospel and was crucified in Edessa. James the Older or James the Greater obeyed this command. He was actually the second martyr to die after Stephen, who was who was stoned to death by the mob for doing what? Preaching this gospel. James was also beheaded and died for preaching this gospel. Thomas obeyed the gospel, obeyed the commands of Christ, took this gospel to India and was sliced through with a spear in India. Bartholomew followed Thomas with the message to India. And he likewise was likewise was killed and beaten and killed. Simon took this message to Africa and they say he even possibly took it to Great Britain where he was killed for preaching this gospel. (laughs) Why am I saying all these things? Not because we are on some kind of death wish, but what is this message all about that would cause people to go? Proclaim it in spite of the clear and present dangers that they would face. What causes anyone to go and lay down their lives just to present the gospel? What causes people to be that missional, to be that driven, to say, I'm going to this place and I don't know what they're going to think of me or how they're going to receive me. Come death or life, the message must advance. And they come. I think there are three reasons. Number one, because Christ commanded it. Christ commanded it, therefore we go. You must ask yourself, am I obeying the command of Christ to get the gospel to the nations? And we think it's so trite. We think it's so small. We think it's so meaningless to ignore the command to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did he not command it? Of course he commanded it. Do we obey it? The majority of the church? We do not. Why? Because we are more concerned with everything that pleases us than the one thing that Christ before he left said for us to do. Make this gospel known. Advance this gospel You don't have time to play. When it's over, it's over. Don't waste, as Piper would say, don't don't waste your life. When it's done, it's done. There is no second chance. Christ commanded it. So we go. And we make disciples. Number two, I would say, what would cause a person to be that mission-minded? Well, because they recognize that Jesus and this gospel saved. This gospel saves people. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. There are dead people in the world who are only going to come to life by the power of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. 
So if the gospel is not preached, those people die. And you have the message of life to give to them. Now, yes, it is the Spirit's job to bring whom He will to life. But what is the means that He uses to bring life? The proclamation of the gospel. And you are the bearers of that flame. You are. I am. Do not think this to be meaningless. But let this inspire, fire you up to speak to the person that you eat at, that the restaurant that you eat at frequently. The, the waiter that you know by name. The car wash of the receptionist or reception person that always takes your money. The place where you always get your hair cut. The grocery store in which the checker is always the same. You're telling me that you don't have opportunities to spread the gospel and share the gospel with different people throughout the city. We go, and he does the saving. Number three, I would say, why would someone do this? Because the glory of God is being stretched to the nations. On and on throughout the Bible, God gets glory among the nations. The Bible says in, in Psalm 23, he guides me in paths of righteousness. For whose name's sake? For his name's sake. Why does God guide us in that beautiful Psalm, chapter 23? Because it's for his name's sake. <laughs> Isaiah 48, 9 through 11 says, For my own name's sake, I will delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I will hold it back from you. So as not to cut you off. He said, for my own name's sake. Not for your sake. But for my own name's sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Psalm 67, 1 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your ways will be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. Why? For his glory. For his glory. Exodus, 30, or Exodus 36, 22 says, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show, holy, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name that you profaned among them, then the nations will know what? That I am the Lord. When I show myself holy through you before their eyes. Did you catch that? God said that I will show love, I will show mercy, I will show grace, but it's not for your sake. It's for my name's sake. I'm doing this. Yes, among the nations, but so that I can be glorified among the nations. And people who are passionate about worship, people who are passionate about the glory of God, say amen to this kind of stuff. They say, yeah. Let God be glorified among the nations. Yes, let God be praised among the nations. Yes, let God be lifted up among the nations. 
Bible says in Matthew 24, 14, the kingdom or the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. Matthew 28, 19 says, go and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the good news to all of creation. Luke 24, 46 through 49, Jesus died so that the forgiveness, uh, that forgiveness and repentance would be preached all throughout the nations. He puts his spirit in us. Why? What did verse 8 says? You'll be my witnesses. You'll be my ones who lay down their lives. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then where? To all the ends of the earth. The nations. This is why he has put his spirit inside of you. So that you can declare his glory among the nations. This is why a biblical church is mission minded because they're not just focusing on building their little kingdom here. They're not just focusing on how many numbers can we get inside here. They're they're thinking about how many disciples can we get in to send out so that the nations can hear about the glory of God. Think about that. If this place was a was a disciple making uh, factory that we we build them up and then we (laughs) ship them out to the nations. That's what I'm hoping for your, you and for your children. That when they are here, they are being built up so that when they get to their senior year, they're not saying, I, I think I want to go to the army. Or, I think I want to go to Yale. They're saying, I think I want to go on a mission trip. And how many of you would say amen to that? If you're being taught and being fed the right gospel, you will say amen to that. I, my, my greatest desire is that my son... When he turns a senior, is preparing to go to Radius right there in Mexico so that he can be sent out to the nations. What's your desire for your kids? Good job. Good education. Stay in a safe, gated community. But do nothing for the kingdom of God. And at the end of their life, stand before God and it was all filthy rags that meant nothing. Well, let me tell you that if that's not your desire for them, then you can't leave them home when we have church night. You can't say your, your, your whatever is more important. You're going to have to stay up until 12 o'clock to finish that thing because you're going to church. Bible says in Revelation 7, 9, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Listen. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hand. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the final scene. Can you imagine? Nations among nations. People groups among people groups. Uh, Red, yellow, black, white, green, gray. All peoples declaring God is glorious. Well, you play a part in that as you go and share the gospel to the nations. You play a role in that. Can you imagine someone coming to you during that great procession, during that great time and coming to you and saying, I met you at Tent City. I met you at Martin Luther King Park. I met you at the marketplace. Thank you for sharing the gospel with me. You play a part in that great scene when you go and obey the command of Christ. Why ignore it? 
Why ignore it? Is it worth ignoring? Is, is it worth not being able to be a part of that? It's not worth it to me. There's no greater joy to me than, than to say, I think I've had a part in advancing the kingdom. And God is going to get all the glory for that. Ah, this is a joy inside of me that, that says, but, but I was a, I was a, he used me to be a part of that. How awesome is that? And many will say amen to these things and, and believe that they are true. But let me ask you a question now. In light of the things that we just discussed, is this the kind of Christianity that you see in most churches today? Is this the kind of mission mindset that you see or hear about in most churches today? And let me ask you another question. When people talk to you about what's going on in their church, is anything about this that we just talked about? Why? If this is what Christ has commanded, then why? Why? Here's another question. I like to ask you questions. What's the main focus of churches today? And what is the greatest desire of most church attenders? Think about this. I'm going to say it again. What is the main focus of most churches today? And what is the greatest desire for most church attenders? Think about it. The most common focus of churches today and the most common desire for church attenders is this relationships. The most common focus for churches today and the most common desire for church attenders is relationships. There are rare people like you who don't care about those things. Who just want Christ and his word. Praise God for you. You are the elect. But for the overwhelming majority. <clears throat> that are walking down the wide road. Their greatest desire. Is homies in church. <clears throat> they don't care if Christ's word is preached accurately. They don't care if God is truly being glorified. They just want friends. They want people they can have a barbecue with and talk about the game. They could care less about talking about Christ. That's why when you have conversations with them, they say to you, I've never heard anything like this. Why? Because that is not the subject of their conversation. It's what's going to be the next event or activity or entertainment going on at their place. Let me ask you a question. Another one. What if missions and biblical fellowship, since we're looking for friends, what if these two things are connected? What if missions and biblical fellowship, I'm talking about true biblical fellowship. What if these two things are connected? And here's another. What if they're inseparable? What do I mean by that? Let me explain. Do you think that the disciples knew each other? Did the disciples, the twelve, did they know each other? A nod would be good. Yeah, yeah, they did. They knew each other, right? Do you think they had a, a good kind of fellowship with each other? Yeah, of course they did. They, they, they spent three and a half years with each other, living with each other every single day, right? Eating with each other. Let me ask you, do you think that there was at times conflict amongst these twelve? Of course there was. Do you think there was misunderstandings? Do you think they had different personalities? Of course they did. But ultimately, they were sharing life with each other. 
Ultimately, they had a kind of intimate fellowship, an intimate community that that goes beyond just the casual barbecue. Why? Because they were actually laying down their lives. They abandoned everything to follow this man, Jesus, and they did so together. They were on mission with Christ together. They were friends. They were fellowshipping. But look at the context in which their friendship and their fellowship was established. It was in the context of following Christ, of being on mission with Christ. Coincidence? Do you think that Jesus is, is doing something just randomly and he, didn't, he doesn't mean to lay out how mission and how true fellowship are connected? No, Jesus does everything intentionally. These people were people that would eventually turn the world, as the Bible says, turn the world upside down as they were on mission together, obeying Christ, proclaiming Christ, calling people to to repent and, and trust in Christ, glorifying the nations. They were making disciples. And what do we do? We try to separate the two. We want to go and hang out and have a barbecue with each other and we call it fellowship. But it's really just a time of gossip. It's a time of backbiting. It's a time time void of the gospel. But yet it's Christian fellowship because we all name name the name of Christ. And then we have the crazy mission people over here. Right? These are the crazy people who want to give up their lives. Who All they want to talk about is Jesus. It's all about, about God and his glory. They're the radicals. But do you realize, based on what we know about the disciples and what we see in the scriptures, the crazy ones are the ones who claim Christ, yet spend their times gossiping at barbecues. Those are the crazy ones. Those are the abnormal believers. Because we just don't see anything like that in scripture. The normal ones, the ones that actually fit into, where's my Bible? The ones who who fit into the Bible... (laughs) are the ones that are actually sharing Christ on their job. They are the ones that are meeting regularly with fellow believers to worship Christ. They're the ones who are involved, who are involved in actively taking the gospel to the nations, either by first-hand action or by actively supporting those who are taking that gospel to the nations. Those are the ones who fit into this book. The ones who don't fit into this book are the ones that, yeah, let's just go and just have a good time. But those are the weird ones. So the missionaries, that's not called radical. That's called normal in the Bible. That's what a believer, that's the normal response of a believer. The abnormal response of a believer is, a believer, a believer, of a believer is, stay home, get a good job, go to church every other Sunday, have a barbecue and gossip. But that's normal in the Christian world. Do you see what I'm getting at? That we're calling what's normal Christianity and it's not. And we're calling what's so-called radical, radical and it's not. It's normal. The radical is normal and the normal is weird. But we settle for the weird. And we look at the radical and say, no way. I just want you to think about this. 
What if God's call for you to enjoy one another? Because there's nothing wrong with you wanting friends, right? You should. You want brothers and sisters around you. But what if God's call for you to have this kind of fellowship is not separate from his call for us to be missional and to make Christ known among the nations? What if they go together? And what if we experience the depths of true Christian fellowship in the context of Christian missions as we are making the gospel known to the nations? And in that context, we know each other. We grow together. Our friendships become stronger. Our accountability to each other becomes deeper. You know, and that's what you want. You want that. But you can't find it at the barbecue fight. Can you? Go now. We, 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 we watched the fight and had a barbecue. We had Christian fellowship. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. I say this because we all, we all care about reaching, I think, the nations. But then we ask ourselves, but what about each other? And we are going to learn to appreciate, like I said, have deeper connections when we reach the nations together. Some of you guys who have been going out to the hungry and the homeless, some of you who have been going out to the marketplace, you're starting to have a connection with those that you go out to these different evangelistic uh, events with because now you're starting to have some kind of connection. You're starting to have some kind of accountability. You're starting to, to meet together regularly, and now it's starting to become deeper than just we just met out there. That's what happens when you go on mission together. Now, that's not mission. That's evangelism, but you understand the point. Do you want to know the people in your church better? Do you? How's that going to happen? Take them out to lunch? Sure, you can do that. Barbecue? Fine, you can do that too. Nothing wrong with that. But don't, don't neglect the one thing that Christ is calling us to do. Make disciples and be missional. So if we're doing all of the things that Christ has not commanded us to do, and ignoring the thing that he did command us to do, then we're missing the boat. A biblical church will be one that makes this distinction clear and pushes it in your face. I'm not going to let you get comfortable with thinking that you're okay not sharing the gospel and not being missional. Why? Because you're going to hear share the gospel and you're going to hear missional almost every single week. Now, again, that doesn't mean that the rest of the summer, none of you guys are going to have a barbecue. And you can't say, I can't invite anybody to the church because I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, don't confuse that for being mission. And don't confuse that or substitute it for evangelism. One may say, well, I have great biblical conversations when I meet with my Christian friends. Well, then I'm obviously not talking about you. Am I? One may say, well, I go to barbecues all the time and all we do is talk about Jesus and we, we gather around the smoke and we just worship God around the pit. Well, great. I'm not talking about you then. But I do want you to think about the one another's in the Bible. The love one another. Build one another up. Be at peace with one another. Serve one another. Encourage one another. Compassionate toward one another. Pray for one another. Be kind and forgiving toward one another. Rejoice and weep with one another. Admonish one another. Esteem one another. 
other or others better than yourself. Confess your faults. Submit to one another. Bear with one another. Honor and esteem elders. All of that. This is all practiced within the context of making disciples and being on mission. You can't do those one another's outside of the context of making disciples and being on mission. Again, this is something that we do not casually do. It's something that we are empowered to do by the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to go through the last point, which would be leadership. But I think that we've done a good job understanding what elders do in the church. We all have a responsibility to live in God-fearing ways that are, in, are full of integrity, men and women. The distinction between leadership is that elders have been gifted to teach. We have deacons who care for the, the, the natural needs of the body. And I wish that I could go more into those things, but we have dealt with elders before. So I'm going to close there. And we're going to move on into our, our next series um, next week. I do want to encourage you that after we're done with that series that we're going to be doing in, for about five weeks, we're going to be doing a series on biblical parenting. We're going to do a series on biblical parenting. We'd like your kids to be in here and involved during that because we're also going to be addressing uh, biblical kids. And what does what did the kids what are they experiencing and how should they respond to it biblically? So we'll be dealing with a lot of great things in the next, uh, gosh, three or four months. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time.